Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 6, 25 through 34. And that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is the gospel of Christ. So for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about our core values as a church, the things that we um, value most, the things that we don't compromise on uh, as a church. That's how we've spent our Easter season. Um, And uh, so Chad, I think in January, marked off that he wanted to be out of town this Sunday, and uh, which is hysterical to me because he left the sermon on simplicity uh, to me, which is not lost on me um, because if, if you know me, I don't know that anyone who knows me well would use the word simple uh, to describe me. Um, The best thing I could say is like, I want to uh, taste, hear, smell, and see every single thing that this world has to offer. Like I want it all. I, I, I I love stuff and things and and, and I don't know. I just want like more and more and more and more and more always. So uh, to me, Simplicity feels like a hilarious, I don't know, uh, thing to talk about. Um, so, uh, to me, simplicity and organization kind of go hand in hand. Anybody else? Do you think of like cleaning and organizing with simplicity? Um, again, to know me is to know that nothing uh, takes more work or brain space in my life than organization. Um, I work very, like, in embarrassingly hard at being uh, organized. I lived in my car growing up, uh, not literally, some of you did, and you know what that's like. I lived in my car as in everything I owned was in my car. Anyone else? No one? Great. Um, <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> one, I won't say your name person. Um, I, I really didn't. Then I swore when I grew up it would change, and now the only thing that's changed is that also now my, my children's things have been added to this car uh, where I feel like uh, we live, um, and it operates that way until, honestly, Campbell gets sick of it, and then he cleans the entire thing for me. So um, I don't know if this is statistically true, but in my experience, one-third of your children are cleaners. So uh, there you go. Fun fact, if, if you don't have anyone cleaning, then just have three kids and one of them will. Um, uh, 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 my, my, my car is gross. Uh, I legitimately found a piece of baklava in my car uh, last week. Do you eat baklava or make it? 
I'm wondering who gave it to my kids. I don't know who did, um, but if you're hungry, I drive like a grayish, brownish Honda Pilot, and it's out there. That piece of baklava uh, lives there. Um, I, I keep everything that's part of the problem with the organization thing. Um, when my parents moved out of my childhood home, I found uh, some of these things. One was I found that uh, every note anyone had ever written me, but particularly if it was a boy, there was its own little box that, you know, I thought my, my kids would want one day. Like, what in the world? I found, this is true, I found um, something called World's Biggest Jawbreaker. Um, you can get at the Cracker Barrel, probably still. Um, and my friend Robin and I, in the seventh grade, bought these World's Biggest Jawbreakers, and we made a covenant with each other that we would eat this jawbreaker until it was over. And I saved it in a baggie so that I could revisit it from time to time. So nobody tell Robin that I did not finish it. I threw that sucker away after 10 or 15 years. We're just sat in a baggie in my room that I saved it. Here's another thing. I found all of my teeth. That Teeth. Right? All of them from us, baby. This is just a public service announcement. If you are a parent and you are saving your children's teeth, they don't want them. It's creepy, okay? It's real creepy. They don't, they don't want to see them. I found all, all of my teeth. Um, my dad says that the worst day of his entire life was moving me out of my dorm room. And you might, you might think like, oh, he must have had a really privileged life if that's the worst day of his life. You would be incorrect. He, he did not lead. He has had plenty of trauma. This was the worst day of, uh, of his life because you would, you would uh, also be mistaken thinking um, or, that a 19-year-old girl can really accumulate some things over a nine-month period of time in a dorm room. And then also, I, I forgot to pack. So when he showed up, it was like, oh, can you help me pack? I watched, I watched movies that I found instead. So um, he'll be getting prayer after service if you want to pray for him. Um, simplicity, it is honestly quite unnatural uh, to me, which either makes me the worst person ever to talk about this or maybe the best. We'll see. TBD. Um, the, the word that gets used today most often in exchange for the word simplicity is minimalism. Um, minimalism uh, is, is I, I like it. I think it's a word that works really well for this. Um, but I want to be clear what I'm talking about is not uh, minimalism like the, you know, the minimalist shoes that have like the toe things that yeah, okay, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about like minimalist interior design, uh, though it did major interior design, and I will talk Miles Vanderoe with you all you want to, but uh, that's not what I'm talking about today. Um, while minimalism can describe those things, I think it also uh, describes a concept far bigger than that. So today we're going to talk about minimalism or simplicity as a, a spiritual value or a spiritual practice. Uh, and it, um, uh, I think sometimes simplicity gets uh, coded or categorized for like Eastern religions, um, but they're not the only ones who own this. Like simplicity does not only belong to the Taoists or only belong to the Buddhists. Uh, simplicity has been a long-held value of the people of God. Um, from the movement of the Israelites in the Old Testament to uh, the way of life for Jesus and the, the call of the early church in Acts. Um, 
It's all throughout our church history. Uh, from uh, as early as the third century, the desert mothers and fathers, they uh, pulled away from society in Egypt. They, they literally left what was complex and moved to something simple to practice a spiritual practice that they called detachment. Um, what they said is this is not us rejecting people or rejecting things, but reimagining and reconfiguring our relationship with people and things and culture. That's the third century. And then uh, at the turn of the first millennia, we have St. Francis and his order. And uh, who Richard Foster, when he talks about St. Francis and, and his people, he calls them, he says, they led a cheerful, happy revolt against materialism. Uh, St. Francis and, and the Franciscans, they came up with a series of rules to simplify their existence before God and, and in the world. Uh, following Jesus for them meant a radical commitment against being possessed by one's own possessions. Isn't that a lovely phrase? Being against being possessed by one's own possessions. Uh, in the 1500s, we have another St. Francis, St. Francis of de Sale. And he's the Bishop of Geneva, and he's like this master spiritual formation uh, teacher and director. And, uh, and he challenged people into a holistic view of life, saying, in everything, find simplicity. In everything, not uh, just in your food or just in your money or just in your spiritual practice, but in everything to look for simplicity. And I could keep going on and on and on in order to bring us here today to 2022. Uh, simplicity is not a newly discovered, like, cool, hip value in culture or in Christianity. It has been a deeply held value uh, and practice for our entire history. So uh, what do we mean when we say simplicity as a spiritual value? Uh, my favorite definition comes from a minimalist teacher and author and Jesus follower. His name's Joshua Becker. Uh, he has a, a blog. You could Google Joshua Becker. I believe it's called Minimalist Christian. It's really, really good. Um, and he's written a couple of books and stuff. But uh, this is how he defines it. And Derek, I think I have a slide for this. Uh, Joshua Becker says simplicity is clarity, purpose, and intentionality. It is marked by the intentional promotion of the things we value and a removal of everything that distracts us from it. Uh, what is simplicity? It is clarity, purpose, and intentionality. It is uh, promoting the things that we value and removing what distracts us from those things. Uh, for uh, us here at the Vineyard, uh, it, this is crucial in our understanding of how we follow Jesus and how we talk about Jesus and how we do church. Uh, I, I, I preached a similar sermon a couple of weeks at Maryville Vineyard, and I was giggling the whole time uh, because I was like, oh, I'm going to have to stand in a middle school band room and talk about simplicity, and y'all will be like, yeah, we... We see it. Like we, get, we get it. Right? But it is, it is not an accident for us. It is crucial. We, we value it so much. We want in our words and our actions uh, with intention and clarity to hold tightly to the things that we value most. Things like scripture and worship and the kingdom and our invitation into it. And we also want to remove the things that distract us from those deeply held values and those deeply cherished things. Uh, it's why we don't do things like a fog machine on the stage. One, I don't think it really fits, <laughs> fits the literal stage and it would blow up uh, the little electricity that we, we have. But, but we don't do it. Some churches do. They use fog machines.
machines, and that's great. Uh, I'm not saying it's always bad. I'm saying that for us, uh, it's one of those things that visually and financially and practically we find distracting um, from what we value and what we cherish. Uh, it's why our church isn't filled with programs. Um, again, programs aren't bad. There are some absolutely amazing churches in this county who, who have loads of programs, and they have kids' programs, and they have all kinds of things, and we think that that's uh, wonderful. But, but, but for us, we believe that the kingdom of God is ours to practice in our actual lives, our uh, actual neighborhoods, our actual workplaces day in and day out. And so more than we want you uh, in this building doing programs, we want you like out there living your actual life as people of Jesus uh, on mission for his kingdom. Uh, when it comes to our vibe and our aesthetic and our programming, simplicity is a deeply, deeply held values of ours. Uh, and, and not just in what we do or what we don't do or uh, where, where we happen to worship or things like that. We also cherish it in the way that we talk about Jesus. Uh, the founder of the vineyard movement, as in like the, the, the much wider vineyard all across the world, uh, is a guy named John Wimber. And he had a phrase that still gets talked about in vineyard circles all over. Uh, and he says it's called the main and the plain. He says, we're the people of the main and the plain, M-A-I-N-P-L-A-I-N. Uh, this means we hold dearly to what is plainly found in the scriptures, rooted in the works of Jesus, the main and the plain things of the kingdom of God. And these main things, like understanding the love of God and the work of his kingdom, what, what we think is that it doesn't require like a secret code or a hard-to-understand theory. We believe that, that these main things can be found very plainly in the scriptures. That's not to say that there's nothing confusing in the scriptures. It's just to say that these main things can be found in a plain way. We believe that the things of Jesus are accessible to everyone, everywhere, where. And these are what we will hold most to. These are the main things and the plain things. And so when all of life's complexities uh, and, and the complexity of thought and belief, they come at us, we want to practice the main and the plain. We want to practice things as simple as like, what does the Bible say about this that is clear? Or what did Jesus do in a situation like this? Or, or what did he say? Uh, culture so often uh, wants to make uh, what is simple quite complex. But Jesus didn't do that. He really didn't do that. In a sea of options and voices, we are committed to the voice of Jesus, to the option of Jesus, the things that he said and the things that he did and the things that he has invited us into. Uh, which brings me around to our text that Justin read beautifully today. Uh, an invitation of Jesus into uh, a simplicity that leads us out of the chains of worry and into the freedom that's possible in the kingdom of God. Uh, our text today from Matthew 6, it's one of Jesus' most uh, clear teachings on simplicity. Uh, in fact, he goes as far as to say that something, it is that our simplicity is something that will set us apart from the rest of the world. That our lack of worry, that our eyes on the kingdom will mark us as his people. Jesus, he uh, spent his whole life this way, unhurried, unworried living deliberately and on purpose out of the center of his life, his kingdom. That's why he ends uh, our scripture today with seek first the kingdom of God. Meaning in the life of someone who follows Jesus, the kingdom is what should uh, be intentionally promoted and elevated above all else with intentionality and clarity and purpose 
and that distractions from that should be detached or removed or reimagined. Uh, Christian thinkers say that one of our biggest hindrances between our actual lives and following the invitation of Jesus is, is this. It's the cultural draw away from simplicity and toward the value of more. Uh, more and bigger and overconsumption and uh, overcommitting and overspending. Uh, there's a, a French philosopher, philosopher named uh, Jean Baudrillard, and he, he's a, like a cultural theorist. And uh, he makes an argument that in Western countries that he was kind of studying the, uh, the uh, church in Europe and saying, you know, I think a, a lot of Christian thinkers are like, ooh, we don't want what happened in Europe to happen here. And, and so Jean Baudrillard was just trying to study what happened in Europe. And, and he said, uh, he said uh, I don't think it's that atheism has replaced cultural Christianity. It's not atheism that's replaced it. It's shopping. It's shopping. It's the lack of fulfillment we have in what we have, in the good life, in a good kingdom. Uh, in our current culture and context, our uh, purpose and meaning as humans has shifted from who we are to what we consume. And it's not just spiritual thinkers saying this. Psychologists tell us that it's making us miserable. Uh, in the last few weeks, I've read multiple studies that have found a direct correlation between materialism and unhappiness. Uh, there is a study out of Baylor that links materialism to depression, others linking materialism to anxiety, and even one that I read that linked it to physical unhealth. And you might be like me and be like, oh, that's terrible. Good thing I'm not materialistic. But listen to how they define it or close your ears if you don't want to hear. <laughs> they define it this way. Materialism is a value system that is preoccupied with possessions and the social image they project. Eek. That's me. I'm preoccupied with stuff and the image it projects. Uh, if anyone here is an iPhone user, when you text someone and a green bubble pops up, are you like, oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't know what the Android version of it is, but I hope that you have something equally judgmental. <laughs> so, right? That's not even a thing. Like, that's materialism. And I, I, I do it. I'll do it this afternoon if you text me. I think this is why Jesus talks so much about it. In the verse right before what we read today in Matthew 6, Jesus warns you can't serve both God and money. He doesn't say you shouldn't. He says you can't. He, he draws this hard line in the sand saying, you cannot live the freedom way of the kingdom and get sucked into the overconsumption that our society calls living. You have to pick between the two of them. Uh, if your life is like mine, then you have to pick between the two of them again and again and again and again and again. And then the, the next verse, what, 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 what we read today, the verse after that, uh, is super curious to me. He says, you can't serve both God and money. And then the next thing he says is, do not worry about your life. That's a really interesting verse to follow up, I think. It, it's his why. Why does simplicity matter according to Jesus? Why can't we serve both overconsumption and God? Because overconsumption and worry seem to be synonymous for Jesus. 1,700 years before the first psychologist, Jesus says that worry and materialism seem to be synonymous. It's a big deal. Uh, a writer I love who has been super um, uh, formative for me in this idea and honestly in this sermon, uh, his name's John Mark Comer, and he says, we worry about what we worship. And I hate that quote. I hate it because I worry about money a lot. Anyone else? 
a lot. And I worry about my stuff. And I worry about food. And I worry about clothes. And the things that Jesus real clearly said, don't worry about these things. Those are the things that I worry about. And we all hate it, right? If you're with me, we hate it. Nobody likes this. No one likes losing sleep because of money. No one likes arguing with their parents or their friends or their spouse about money. No one likes this. But we all worry about it. Because without intention and clarity and purpose, we all kind of worship it. If we keep uh, reading the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, uh, overconsumption and worry, they seem to find a correlation. But so does simplicity in the kingdom. The way of the kingdom is a truly, uh, a very simple way. It's a very simple way. It's a simplicity worth fighting for, a, a simplicity worth setting aside distractions for, a simplicity worth learning deep into our bones. Simplicity for Jesus is so very much about learning how to manage the tension between not enough and too much. That's where it lies. Somewhere in between that tension, managing the tension between enjoying all that this world has to offer, consumption, and overindulging, overconsumption at the risk to other people and at the risk of our own hearts. Because he's always trying to make us more free. He's always trying to bring order into our places of disorder. Uh, And I'm not telling you this to feel guilty about what you have or uh, to tell you not to make a lot of money. This is not a shame rich people sermon. I love rich people and I'd like to be one one day. Um, It's not what this is about. Uh, Simplicity as a spiritual practice. It is about money, but it is not all about money. Jesus, he doesn't um, uh, qualify uh, simplicity at like an income threshold. Psychologists do that, right? They say if we make over $70,000, that money doesn't make us happy anymore, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't qualify it at an income threshold. What he does is he dares us towards simplicity no matter how much money we have. He has no income threshold. No matter how much money you have or do not have, he dares you Toward simplicity, it's, it's not necessarily about money. That's part of it, but not all of it. Because uh, in it, in simplicity, Jesus says that there is peace and wholeness and freedom. Following Jesus and seeking first the kingdom, it will require us to shed some things that we carry. It just will. And it always will. Like literal physical things sometimes and emotional things sometimes and spiritual things sometimes. How many of you believe what you believed five years ago? Not many, right? It requires us to shed some things. Uh, Over and over, Jesus, he will ask us to discard and remove and reimagine things in the name of something more simple and in the name of something more manageable and in the name of something more free. Uh, Another writer I love uh, is named David Benner, and he says this. I think I might have a slide for this too, Derek. He says, simple being or simplicity is the sigh of release as we exchange complexity for simplicity. It is the sigh of release as we let go of preoccupations, inordinate attachments, and disordered possessions. Things in the depth of our beings get aligned when we let go of these things. Psychologists agree. Uh, Studies that show, uh, there are studies, again, that I read that that show that every decrease in overconsumption or materialism is directly correlated to an increase in mood and well-being and health. 
There is an order to our souls that we were created with, an alignment in the depths of our being when we learn how to discard the things that get in our way and uphold and elevate and seek the kingdom of God above all else. I think for Jesus, uh, a life of simplicity about learning what to say yes to and, and what to say no to, uh, it's, it's, it's a big deal. That's what we're doing. What do we say yes to and what do we say no to? So I want to get really practical uh, for a minute. Uh, What does it look like to simplify your life in order to make room and space uh, for what God is doing in your life right here and right now? Um, uh, This one is kind of tricky. When when I start to put legs on it is when I get really tricky and I'm like, oh, my sermon's too long. Don't don't make it practical. Uh, But here's why. Here's why I think it's tricky. One, everything I'm talking about today is being contradicted quite literally by almost every single message and voice in our lives, right? It's constantly being contradicted. And uh, the second thing is I'm not asking you to move towards simplicity for simplicity's sake. Uh, That's shame. (laughs) What I'm asking you to do is uh, to simplify your life in the name of Jesus for the movement of the kingdom. Not just for simplicity's sake, for the movement of the kingdom, meaning not just some outward changes, but a refinement uh, from the center of your being toward a more clear and intentional purpose and identity. And those things are overwhelming because uh, when we start to lean into those things, I think for some of us, the Holy Spirit really might want to overhaul your whole life. Sorry. (laughs) I think he might. But also, it's okay to think of this as a continual work of shedding and a continual intentional work of shedding distractions in order to clarify purpose and identity throughout your life. In my experience, Jesus is always, 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 always trying to simplify pieces of my life. It is what he is always up to in me. So think of this. Uh, I've talked before on this stage about the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. It's going to sound like I think it's the best book of all time. I don't, but it is helpful in this. Uh, But essentially what he says is uh, he has this challenge of of encouraging people to get 1% better every single day, which I think is attainable. 1% better. Uh, Paul has a really similar idea in Romans. He talks about being uh, glorified from one degree to the next, one degree to the next, one degree to the next. That's what I'm talking about here. Uh, Again, maybe it's an overhaul for your life, but I think uh, for plenty of us, this idea will be one degree shift and a one degree shift and a one degree shift. I think that's incredibly important, especially for those of you who are kind of prone toward uh, legalism um, and, and maybe say this, see this as a checklist. Simplicity is not a box to check off to make your life more organized. That's not really what we're talking about. What I'm trying to talk about is a sigh of release. That's different. A way of reimagining your life in order to become more free. Uh, it is possible to become a slave to simplicity or to become a slave to minimalism. And that isn't the way of Jesus. Instead, think of this as shedding things in the name of freedom. Jesus says his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So with that in mind, I have three suggestions for where you can start uh, working through this in your own life. It's these three things. Your wallet, your closet, and your calendar. Okay, a little minute on each of those. Uh, Your wallet. If you don't have one or your bank doesn't do this uh, or a credit card, uh, get an app that shows you how you spend your money. Uh, the Mizells use something called Truebill. I'm not sponsored, so um, we use something called Truebill. And here's what I found out. Uh, Truebill went through all of our finances, and Truebill told me that the thing that my family values most is eating out, particularly Chick-fil-A. 
okay? That's not on purpose, right? I got it and I was like, are you kidding? This is humiliating and um, so let's edit it out of the podcast. I spent more at Chick-fil-A than Kroger one year. (laughs) I'm not kidding. And I didn't know. And Truebill was like, have you seen this? Okay. Um, This is an accident. Let's do things on purpose, right? When it comes to your wallet, do it on purpose. Some of you do. Johnny can tell you where every dollar, he, 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 he keeps receipts, y'all. If you need help, call him. I, I need to call him. Um, here's the second one, your closet. Okay, your wallet, number two, your closet. I would be willing to bet everyone in here has one. Um, uh, or, or, you know, I think you do. Um, and everyone in here, if you have one, my hunch is that it is full of things that you wear and it is also full of things that you do not wear and things that you need and things that you do not need um, and things that you can see and things that you can't even see because they got pushed back there a decade ago, right? Uh, we all have one. Cleaning out your closet, this is me as your pastor, cleaning out your closet can be a spiritual practice. It truly can. Um, uh, and there are ways to, to simplify your life. I do something called a wardrobe capsule. You can Google it. I have 37 items and I rotate them. That's why it looks like I wear the same thing every day. I don't care. It's 37 clothes I like, right? Uh, my friend Nick, uh, who's not here today, so I want to embarrass him. He has five weekday outfits. He has his Monday pants, his Tuesday pants, his Wednesday pants. Right, uh, John Mark Comer that I referenced earlier, he did he did that, and he went down to two two outfits. He rotated two outfits all during the week. Those may seem really extreme to you, um, but uh, would you look at your closet? Uh, and maybe for you, it's as simple as four piles: uh, keep, throw away, give away, wait, and decide. Keep, throw away, give away, wait, and decide. Uh, let your uh, closet lead you to other places where you are storing up things that other people might actually use or where the Holy Spirit, or uh, uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to have access to uh, your spending and storing practices. Okay, last one, your calendar. Uh, one of the biggest practices, I think, in uh, freedom of simplicity is learning how to be intentional with how we spend our time. Uh, I have spent so many hours and so much money in therapy directly uh, related to my calendar. Like an embarrassing amount of time. Just at this point, I, I hand my therapist a pie chart so that she can keep my calendar for me because I don't, it, this is not natural uh, to me. Um, I, I, and so few things show us what we're worshiping and what we treasure quite like how we spend our time. I think some of us in this room need, me, need to learn how to say no. Uh, my friend Jessica has a line. She says, I'm not your girl. I'm like, I need to tattoo that on my forehead. And then I think some of us need to learn how to say yes. Because simplicity isn't just about saying no to things. It's also about, it's about saying no so that you can say uh, a better yes. So you can say more true and free yes. It's about uh, saying no so that you can say yes to what Jesus is up to in the places where you live and work and learn and play.